Our series through the book of Philippians dovetails nicely with this commissioning of Richfield Bible Church today. The last half of Philippians chapter 4 is an ideal text for such an occasion because it highlights the nature of faithful gospel enterprise in earnest gospel partnership. Gospel enterprise in gospel partnerships. And we've turned to this passage numerous times through the years because it is really a classic text describing such partnership. Jesus told his disciples to lift up their eyes to the harvest. He commissioned them to make disciples of all nations. And in doing so, Jesus oriented his disciples to think globally, to always be in the concept of evangelism, thinking globally, and then to always venture outward. Healthy local churches tuned to the risen Savior's mission to save souls labored to create vital links in a worldwide web of relationships for gospel enterprise. We're bent this way by our Savior's commission to us. The way that He directs us, the way that He speaks of our life together, orients us this way. So there is, for a church that's attuned with the risen Christ, a certain culture that develops. Such a church, there's going to be a lot of travel. There's going to be communications between gospel outposts. Walking in the office the other day, two of our pastors huddled around a screen communicating with someone in Indonesia, talking gospel partnership with a pastor there. This is just who we are. We communicate. We talk. We're concerned about the gospel in other parts of the world. Our culture is going to be one in which we pool resources, where we share together with other believers projects that are bigger than any one of us, and share together as a church projects that we could never pull off on our own. In that culture, there's going to be intercessory prayer. We're going to lift up the names of other brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be concerned about what is being suffered and faced by such believers throughout the world. It's going to be a culture where we send members to nurture and strengthen partnerships in gospel enterprise, sometimes permanently, sometimes just in short-term projects, but always seeking to nurture and strengthen partnerships in the gospel. Let me borrow the phrase that President George W. Bush used as he spoke of volunteers and communities across America. He spoke of a thousand points of light. A thousand points of light. Not everybody is light, but individuals at various places connecting together in a network, a web of relationship. And how much more profound and glorious and eternal are the partnerships that we enjoy in the gospel. Not simply volunteers in communities, but a network of people in the light, brought out of darkness, shining that light to others. A thousand points of light across the globe is our very orientation. Linking together, coming to know one another, pressing one another forward and helping each other in the journey. This is our life. This is our culture and rightly so. Last week I traveled to the East Coast to gather with about a hundred pastors. Many from the United States, but some from the Middle East, some from Africa, some from Europe. 
I roomed with a pastor from Cameroon. I hope you get to meet him someday. I really hope you get to meet him. I mean, that's the strangest thing in the world. Walk into a hotel room at 10 o'clock and go to bed next to somebody you've never met. But we know Jesus. And we slept peacefully. It's amazing. Two pastors at that conference were from Michigan. I interacted with them, prayed with them, talked with them, and in a couple of weeks, we have two ministry teams to partner with these men, and we're hoping about 30 other leaders of churches in the Detroit area to spread the gospel and strengthen local churches there. We're sending out, and they're coming in. Next week, Lord willing, Jeff and Amy Straba will be with us, our missionaries to Zambia as they share with us the work that the Lord is doing there, and you're, you're in for a treat. I mean, it'll be exciting to hear what God has been doing in and through them. Later this summer, Eden Baptist Church will undertake a mission to train pastors in China. and We need to be praying about that and the challenges of that journey coming up. Why all this scurrying about? Why all this sending forth? By God's grace, the answer to it is not just that we're nervous and jerky and need to do something else and be somewhere else and just want to travel for travel's sake. By the grace of God, all this scurrying about is, to, is a zeal to make Christ's name known globally. And as this graphic illustrates, to connect the dots of light so that they're strengthened where they are, not dying out in isolation, but being fanned into flame through this connection that we can have in Christ. Sending out and partaking with believers. In this vein, perhaps the most substantial mission that we have ever undertaken is to send out a group of faithful brothers and sisters to form a new gospel beachhead. Another distinct point of light in gospel enterprise. And in some sense, that really is unique for us because all of our efforts globally have always been to strengthen, to encourage light that is there. But here we send out a point of light to be established in a new place. And as we do this, it is vital that we continue to relate wisely to one another as we nurture the relationship between Eden Baptist Church and Richfield Bible Church. That relationship, by God's grace, will grow and be strengthened so that we are both stronger because of this relationship. It may seem counterintuitive to the world, to split apart, to be separated in two different places will certainly weaken you. By God's grace, it will strengthen us. But we're going to have to be skillful about it on a lot of levels and can't talk about all of those levels here today. But I do want us to concentrate on how to be wise, at least in one area of this relationship. As we send this group out, it's vital that we continue to relate wisely. And to this end, Philippians 4 is uniquely helpful because it permits us to eavesdrop upon such a relationship. As the Apostle Paul 
is establishing points of light in other places, and now, of course, set on ice, it would seem, from Satan's perspective, in prison. He relates to and communicates with the Philippians, and we see perhaps nowhere else in the New Testament such a lengthy, specific passage on how such partnerships work, on their nature, and the relationship that we can have as believers in Christ. Now we know in the context of the book that Paul was the evangelist that God used to start this church on the second missionary journey of Paul. It's been perhaps 10 years now since that time. There's been a warm and close relationship that has developed. The Philippians have made several critical contributions financially to the health of this church, or to health of this evangelist. And Paul's gospel work is has gone forward in part through their efforts, even though they have struggled financially. They've really faced some difficulties that way, and that comes out in his writings to them. Recently, they had sent funds by the hand of their messenger Epaphroditus to Paul here who's in prison, and it had been some time since they'd been able to do so. It had been about five years, it seems, since they were able to get money to him. You don't wire it in those days. You bring it. And when Paul was imprisoned in Palestine at Caesarea Maritima, and they're up in Greece, they just had nobody going that way. And so they were unable to help and contribute to Paul, but now, as he's in the Roman prison, that's a little bit closer, still a, a long journey, but more accessible, and they're able to bring funds to him. And this letter, in part, is thanking them for what they've been able to do. And we come to that thanksgiving now at the end of the book. Yet these verses are instructive for us as we, under very different circumstances, partner in an equally warm and by God's grace, supportive relationship, Eden Baptist Church with Richfield Bible Church. What I'd like to do here, somewhat briefly here as we look at the end of Philippians, is to consider the meaning of Paul's words to the Philippians, but then to draw out some applications for the ongoing relationship that we enjoy between our two churches. We're going to look first of all, verses 10 through 13. There's a bit of a division there, and then from 14 down, and you see it, verse 21 some final greetings there, uh, 20 closing up that section, but really in some sense bridging into the, the greetings at the end. But verses 10 through 13 looks at this relationship from the angle of the recipient of support. Looks at it from the angle of the recipient of support, that is Paul in this case. And he writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He say, what joy to see your financial support spring back to life. Now hold on, don't misunderstand me, thinking that I've misunderstood you. Verse 10, he continues, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I'm glad it's revived, but I know it wasn't because of a lack of concern. It was just a lack of opportunity. Their support for Paul had never dried up. Their prayers had ascended. Their desire to send financial contributions was there. But the opportunity to contribute to the work was not due to circumstances. Having said that, Paul realizes he could again be misunderstood, so he qualifies. Be assured, I get that you did not have opportunity to help me. Now I want you to get this, verse 11. 
not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul tactfully explains that he did not need their gift. He's grateful for it, but they should never think that he simply had to have it. It illustrates one of the ways in which the Lordship of Jesus Christ changes our relationships. Because Christ is the sovereign reigning Lord of heaven and earth, Paul will never be dependent on anyone's gifts. He can't be. Christ is Lord and Christ is provider. I'm not in need of your gifts. 4, verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things through His provision. I don't need yours. When Paul had more financial support than he needed, he was content. When Paul lacked resources... He was content. Jesus was on the throne. It was Jesus' mission. He was Jesus' servant. So Paul could be at peace no matter his financial situation. He could put full and absolute faith in Jesus Christ. You will never ultimately supply my need. Christ does that wholly. That's his bent, his thinking about the whole matter. Jesus may lead Paul through the valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus would never abandon him there. So, as much as he appreciated the Philippians' support, Paul simply could not say that he needed it, no matter how tough his situation might get. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is his testimony. Empowered by God, Paul could be content in every circumstance. What are the all things that Paul is able to do. He's able to endure any deficiency that God calls him to suffer. We need to be a bit cautious here as Christians tend to manipulate this verse, I suppose, but I can do all things is not God's promise that yes, you can lose those five pounds in five weeks. Uh, I can do all things isn't what you do when you open up the nasty diaper and say, I really can do this. He will strengthen me to pull this off. I can do all things is not God's promise that you can finish college, that you can endure that relative at the next family reunion, that you can quit smoking or get that project done on time or deliver that hard message. I can do all things through Christ does not mean that you can do anything you want to do because God is committed to helping you do whatever you decide. So Let's be cautious with the word that way. But having said that, I don't think that we either want to go too far the other way and say that this verse only deals with financial issues. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is indeed a principle of the Christian life. We have to be cautious how we use it, that we don't manipulate it and say, God will give me strength to do whatever I want. But I think we should understand that His strength is sufficient in whatever we face. 
whatever trial is there. And here, conviction needs to come settling down upon every one of us because we don't live like this. That my strength is in Christ alone. That He will supply the strength to be the man, the woman, the young person that He wants me to be. His strength is sufficient. Enduring financial hardship is the immediate context, but obviously the power of God strengthens His people over and over again every day of our lives. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Knowing Christ makes all the difference. So Paul says, I'm content. I'm content depending upon God to empower me to handle any financial challenge He providentially allows me to face and to handle any situation I get into because of that lack. In fact, to be content when I have enough. The truth of the matter is contentment when we have enough is just about as hard as contentment when we don't. We have within us a craving for more. Christ redeems His people to take that craving and to turn it to Him. He's the craving. We want more of Him. Not that anything is deficient in Him, but it's deficient in us. When our affections are set on Christ, we can do all things through Him. And we need nothing else. This verse, this passage that we've read, is not commending laziness. Let's make that clear. It's not commending apathy. It's not commending failure to take responsibility for our financial challenges. But Paul's testimony certainly commends implicit trust in God no matter how bleak things seem. And real specifically here, some of you are undoubtedly facing crushing financial trouble. It's about all you can think about day after day. Paul's testimony certainly commends trust in God, no matter how bleak things may seem. As you face those trials, you can actually, indeed, it's not insanity, you can take that burden and hand it to Him. Doesn't again mean laziness, complacency, excuse-making. It doesn't mean you won't labor diligently to come out of it. It certainly doesn't mean you should not seek counsel or help or support from others in appropriate ways. But what it does mean is you don't need to worry. You don't need to be filled with anxiety. There is a Lord in heaven who loves you if you're His child. He will support you and strengthen you. You can turn it over to Him. Take that burden, maybe even just in, the, in your own mind right now, just take it like it's a big sack of bricks and hand it to God. As we think more broadly of our churches, Richfield Bible Church, money will be tight. Contentment is a choice. There's going to be things you don't have that others have. There's going to be things you really think you need that you don't have. And in your own personal lives, perhaps also the commitment to give to the church what the church is able to secure, how able it is to function, choose contentment. 
Come what may, says Paul, Christ will sustain us with his power. That's a promise for you. It's a promise for all of us. Let's find full contentment in the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us and that we do not need to be filled with worry. Richfield Bible Church, you're going to be okay. You're in God's hands. Thankfully, you have support and help and others that have already come alongside but be content in Christ. Follow Paul's example here. We're not just preaching from an ivory tower on this. I've told the story often to all who come into our church perhaps, but remember 1995, a building right down here on 13, rented a little tiny office because we were homeless as a church and we had no money and it did not look that we could play the game in this community. And I remember being overwhelmed in that office, looking out that little window over the Minnesota River Valley and just saying, we're done. We can't do this. Not here not this people, we can't do it. And the Lord in His mercy, through His Spirit, ministered to my heart right there, standing there looking through that window and convincing me, I have your back. This is my church. I've got it covered. I will care for you as I choose, and you'll be okay. Contentment is a choice to give to God our worries. As I walked out of the office that day, nothing had changed in our financial situation as a church. Nothing had changed to give confidence that we were going to be able to do X, Y, or Z, and it would all be better we remained home, homeless. We remained with insufficient funds to do anything about it. But contentment is a gift from God that we choose. So Richfield Bible Church, no matter what trials you face financially, no matter what you find you cannot afford, never look to man as the answer. Always look to Christ and be content right where you are each day. Don't look to Eden Baptist Church. Not, not as an ultimate answer. Don't look to the Southern Baptist Convention. Do not look to other churches as utterly necessary. There will be partners who come along, but remember Paul's spirit here. I have no need. Thank you for your gift, but I don't need it. I need Christ. Go in that spirit. Always locate your dependence on Christ. He will strengthen you to handle whatever challenge He providentially allows you to face. What an exciting prospect. And I can testify as a gray-haired man, I used to lock up the door, the church door after work, and walk out of the cave where we were squatting 
We owned at that time a few tables, a few chairs, a piano, a couple cribs, and a rocker, and I know not if we owned anything else, maybe hymnals. As I walked out of that door and locked it, the contentment in my heart in that moment is no different than it is today when I set the security system. We never needed a security system at that first place. We set the security system and you walk out the door. There's no more contentment whatsoever. This building is a tool. That's all it is. Christ is my Lord, and that's enough. We're homeless, and we live in a palace. We have Christ, and that's enough. Choose contentment. The kind that works, the kind that gives sacrificially, the kind that's frugal, the kind that builds relationships. But always be content in Christ, not in what someone else can give. That's Paul's illustration for us, his example. As we eavesdrop on this conversation, let's take his spirit. But if perchance all these qualifiers should send the wrong message, Paul again qualifies, returning to the main point. And now, at verses 14 and following, he looks at it from the angle of the supplier of the support. He's looked at it from this, the angle of that, that one who has received. I'm content in Christ. I need nothing. Now he looks at it from the angle of the supplier of the support, verse 14. Yet, let me get this straight, it was kind of you to share my trouble We're set off by this translation a bit. It was kind of you means it was beautiful. It was commendable. That was, you know, that was a nice thing to do. Not that. That's not what the Greek word means. It means this is beautiful, what you've done to share with me in this way. And to share isn't really like, thanks for sharing your money. You kept some of it. You let me use some of it. Thanks for sharing it. That's, again, not what the Greek word's indicating, but it's by sending me financial support, you are actively participating with me in the gospel. We are partnering through the beautiful gift that you gave. That's the idea. The bond between Paul and the Philippians was so strong because they had delivered for Paul time after time. He had come to rest in their support, not depend on it, but he knew it would be there. He knew they loved him and would care for him and he'd come to rejoice in it. It's a beautiful thing that you have revived this partnership through your giving. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know, here's the history they have, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, that means when he brought the gospel to them, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So thankful for that. Jesus saved them from their sin a decade earlier as Paul brought the gospel, but he shattered also the idol of money in their hearts. And so those that naturally hoard and keep and want, as Paul left their town, they sent with him gifts and they continued to send gifts of financial support so that the gospel would be spread. And people would hear the message. 
I remember these days, he says. I remember them with fondness. I'm so thankful for the partnership we've enjoyed. In fact, chapter 1, verse 5, he introduces the book that way with their partnership in the gospel. This is a theme that runs through the book. But having said that, it's not their financial support that Paul longed for again. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Remember all that you've done, how we've partnered together, but I'm not seeking the gift. What I really want, my ultimate desire is this, verse 17. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I want this. I want you to give to me for your sake. I want the fruit that increases to your credit. Fruit, the rich reward God gives to His people when they faithfully serve Him. So the picture is this. The Philippian church gathers. They love Paul. They know the work that he's doing. And they collect gifts in order to help that work go forward. And as they collect those gifts over probably some time, they put it together and they commission Epaphroditus to take those gifts and to visit Paul in prison and to deliver those gifts to him. And what Paul is saying is you've got to understand those gifts are like seed. You're spreading this seed everywhere and it's going to bear rich fruit in your life. The actual grounds, right, Silva, the actual grounds for Paul's joy consists in what the gift demonstrates about the Philippians themselves. Paul again expresses his thanks and his contentment as he rejoices that they are reaping fruit through their gift. He says, I've received full payment. Verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Our modern situation just cancels out the significance of that. You had to carry the money with you through all kinds of dangers, toils, and snares to get it to him, how relieving it would be that it got there. He got the money. He received the support. They're going to be rejoicing just to hear that. And he, on his part, it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing. Don't miss it. To God. To Paul, certainly on some level, but here the emphasis is really on what this gift meant to God. The principle we can take home is that when we give money away to supply partnerships in the gospel, when we invest in the edification of Christ's church, we please the Lord. He looks upon such investments and he smiles. He, is, that we, he sees that we are actively partnering together for the glory of His name. And He rejoices with us. And how does God respond? Verse 19, And my God will then supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When a church with greater resources supports a church with lesser resources, God is pleased and God is moved. Paul confidently assures the Philippian church, God will not ignore your sacrifice. He will supply your needs. It doesn't make sense unless Christ is Lord, but you're giving money away, it's going to hurt you. No, it's seed. And the Lord of the harvest will see it doesn't hurt you. 
Now again, this is all to be understood and applied wisely. It doesn't mean that we empty out every account and give it all away and sit there fiddling with our thumbs waiting for God to give us back that and more. We are to apply this wisely to walk forward faithfully, but we can always have confidence that our Father's watching. And it pleases Him when we make sacrifices to help and to aid others in the faith. Imagine a father takes his daughter and her younger brother out into a lake and a boat to go fishing. And they're pretty far out in this lake, and it, but it's a beautiful day. It's kind of cold, but the sun's shining. It warms them enough, and they're enjoying the fishing until the clouds start to come in. And that cold just got real cold as the sun goes away and the wind starts to whip up and it starts to mist and spray and now they're freezing. At least the little boy is because he just didn't have enough to wear. He didn't bring a good enough jacket with him and he's just really struggling with cold. He's shivering and his sister, in her compassion, takes off her jacket and gives it to her little brother. What's the dad think? Oh, that was really a nice thing for you to do, sister. I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed. And I'm sorry that you're cold now, but you know that's just the way that it is. When you give to others, you suffer and you've got to pay the price while he zips up his coat and pulls the hood over his head. There's no decent dad on earth that's going to do that, right? He's going to say, that brings me joy. To see you do that and love your brother that way and supply his need that way, he's going to give her his coat. Down under the seat, he's got four extra ones. Do you think God would treat us differently than that just decent dad? That our heavenly Father would not think the same way toward us when he sees us using our resources to help those along in the advance of the gospel, he's going to stand back, zip up his jacket, and say, Rilla, I'm really sorry you're suffering, but you know that's, that's just the way it is to help people. It's really sad. No, says Paul, he's going to supply your every need. He is a sovereign Lord, the same Lord that I look to in my need and lack and find contentment is the Lord who will see what you have done take pleasure and supply your needs as well. And they had needs. The Philippians were struggling financially. They were indeed giving in, at times out of their poverty. We learn in other places. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. That's what it's about is the glory of God as He finishes out the book. He brings glory to God and as we work out our relationship and gospel partnerships, we celebrate that glory. On a warm note, he finishes, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Think on that. The Lord of the harvest is reaching behind enemy lines He's bringing to Christ pagans 
who are behind the fortifications of Satan, and he's bringing them to the light of the gospel. Some in Caesar's household, whether those were slaves or whoever they were, however he met them, however he knew them, they had heard the gospel, and they had so embraced Christ that they're sending message back to the Philippians, greetings in the name of Jesus. As the Philippians' gifts had flowed to this point of light, and had supplied it. So that point of light now spreading there in that place is sending out messages of greeting and support and the partnership continues. Souls in the citadel of Satan had joined the family of holy ones who were separated unto God and now are gospel partners. This grace is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of life in Christ. It's the foundation that you need if you are in the darkness and have not come to trust Christ as your Savior. It's this grace of God, verse 23, this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that must be with you to relate to God not as judge and certainly not as enemy, but to relate to Him as one reconciled by His goodness and grace to you in Christ. This is our hope. And as we think back on verse 19 for just a moment, Richfield Bible Church and Eden Baptist Church, God will supply. He's in that business. That doesn't mean He's going to supply what we want in the way that we think or anything like that. He is sovereign Lord. He's never going to be put on a shelf and told what to do. He's not an idol but He is the supplier of every need that we have in Christ. He's going to supply. Eden Baptist Church, by God's grace, we will be given opportunities in the future to partner with Richfield Bible Church in the Gospel by means of our sacrificial gifts over the years. That's where we're bent. That's where we hope to go. That's what we trust the Lord will enable us to do. And today we come to a very significant moment in that history. A moment in which we have gathered here today to gather gifts together, to designate gifts to Richfield Bible Church, and to see them come out of this gate with a spring in their step, with thanksgiving in their heart, not in need, not in dependence, like Paul demonstrated, but with joy and thanksgiving and to see this gift come from this assembly to establish this new point of light in a way that pleases the Lord. That's the opportunity that is before us. Again, informally, we certainly can collect gifts in the weeks to come as as they are so designated. And we have a lot to talk about as a church as to how to consider this in the days ahead. But right now today, in the offering that we take, all that is designated, we want to send to them and to be an encouragement to them. I pray that our financial gifts will indeed please the Lord and constitute a participation in the fruits of Richfield Bible Church's ministry. If we're taking God at His word here, that's what's happening. We're putting down our gifts as seed and participating in, partnering with the fruit that is reaped by God's grace in this testimony for Christ in Richfield. 
We're utterly dependent on the Lord. We are not pulling strings so that He does what we want Him to do. But we are seeking in response indeed to this passage to rightly partner with this assembly. And we plead that God will use us, that He will strengthen us for His glory and for His honor to accomplish all that He desires through this assembly. I encourage you to stand with me if you're able. You can remain seated if you would like to, but let's all stand together as we're able. And uh, let's just seek the Lord in prayer. We'll just stretch for a moment as we have more to come. And as I desperately look for the notes I've lost. But (laughs) anyway, let's seek the Lord in prayer. We give thanks, our Father, for your goodness to us and for the reminder of this passage, indeed one that we have considered numerous times in the past. We praise you for the opportunity to think about it again and to think about it in something of a unique way, in a way we've really never thought ultimately before. I pray that you would use this text to stir us, and I pray that you would direct and bless us here in these moments to come as we commission these, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to the work to which you have called them, to venture out, to trust you, and to establish this point of light in Richfield. We long that you will bless them, and we pray now that in these moments together that your name would be praised and that you would be pleased with what you see as we seek to advance your cause. For those who know not Christ as Savior, perhaps much is confusing here. I pray that you draw them to Christ and show them the joy of the Lord and what it is that motivates true believers to press throughout all the world and proclaim the name of Christ. Not in anger. Not in hostility. Not in, you must see things our way and we'll bring every gun and government to bear upon you that we can to make you see things how we want. But Lord, with grace, with kindness, with goodness, with risk, we go into this world and we proclaim Christ crucified. Those who have not embraced that message, we pray that you draw them to yourself today. And we will praise you in Christ's name for all that you're pleased to do. Amen.